Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and give by clicking the link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message.
Well, how are you, church? You good? Hey, it's great to be with you guys today. It's been a great day so far at our 915 service. We had one person trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of his life. His name is Caleb, and he plans to get baptized in two weeks. That's pretty exciting. And then uh, what's also exciting about this morning is we had to put out more chairs for this service. So that's always exciting. And so uh, it's great to be with you guys. Yeah, like a couple of claps for that. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's great to be with you guys in week two of our series, Tools for Life. If you're here last week or you weren't here last week and didn't catch up with uh, what we were doing online, or if you're a first time guest, um, last week we talked about what can be our greatest asset in life and that our greatest asset in life is our time because we all have the same amount of it and we all get to determine the value of it. And so as a challenge to kind of prioritize and to protect time, especially in the relationships that matter most to us in the context of family, whatever that context and that definition looks like for you and for your situation in life, we challenged you. Uh, we gave you some Chick-fil-A gift cards to go out and to, to spend some time together in those relationships. And then we challenged you to share with us and share with the world what rules you have with regards to the way you prioritize and protect that time as a family uh, by posting uh, that rule, that practice on um, social media, maybe a picture and with the hashtag Tools for Life TVC, 11 o'clock hour, so that we know that we could select uh, one of you for a $50 Chick-fil-A gift card. And we had a number of great uh, practices that were shared with us on social media. In fact, it was a very hard choice um, to where it's kind of difficult to be in this position and announce that some of you didn't win, okay? Um, but as a consolation prize, we had a few leftover gift cards um, from last, last week. And so if you posted uh, with the hashtag Tools for Life TVC, 11 o'clock, and you did not get highlighted, um, come and see me after service. We've got those that we want to give to you as a consolation prize. The, the one that we selected was from a, a woman uh, named Morgan who posted on social media this week, uh, this post. Um, she had a picture that was really cool of her and her husband's hands. Uh, they were playing cards. She said, for a while, we've been working towards prioritizing our time and putting tangible things in practice. This year, we have implemented monthly date night and pretty much have stuck with it. Uh, we've been saying we need to do something together weekly as well as engaging more as a family in the evenings. Our pastor talked about the huge importance time is and we can't get it back. We need to use it wisely and redeem the time. Since Sunday, we have implemented some new house rules and priorities. Phones up between six and eight every evening and eating dinner and being together as a family, playing and talking to one another. We also added one evening a week to connect as a couple, chat, play games, laugh together rather than just sit in front of the TV or phones. I'm so grateful for the church and pastors that truly encourage us to do what matters most. Heart, heart, heart. Uh, share some ways you ha use your time wisely. I would love to hear. Um, and unfortunately, we don't have the picture to post for you. So this is the one we selected primarily because the word pastor was mentioned twice in it. And, um, and that gets you everywhere when you say that you love your pastors. Okay. So um, for Morgan, who is right here, I think on one, two, three, four, four rows back after service, we got that gift card. Y'all give it up for Morgan and for Paul and for $50 of Chick-fil-A. You're welcome. And uh, so it's great to be with you guys when we can uh, talk about another tool for life. Last week, we talked about how time was our greatest asset. But when you talk to most people about what their greatest asset in life is, most people are gonna mention some material good 
or their money. Um, But what I want to propose to you this morning is that money can actually be one of our greatest liabilities in life. In fact, if you were to take a look at the definition of a liability, uh, we would find out that a liability is a thing whose presence or behavior is likely to cause embarrassment or disadvantage. Embarrassment or disadvantage. And if I could amend Webster's uh, definition, I would also add, or unnecessary stress. Unnecessary stress. So anything whose presence or behavior causes embarrassment, disadvantage, or unnecessary stress. And I think we would all say that money has that potential in our lives to be perhaps the greatest liability for us when we talk about embarrassment, disadvantage, or unnecessary stress. I know that for me, I've had plenty of embarrassing moments with regards to money. Uh, In fact, earlier this summer, our um, travel baseball team went down to the beach for a baseball tournament. Uh, You have heard that has been well-documented throughout the summer. It's also well-documented that we can go right down the road for uh, heat and humidity to play baseball. We don't need to go to the beach. But anyway, we went to the beach and um, we decided as a team, the first night that the entire team was there together, that we were going to go out to eat. So we ended up going to Mellow Mushroom because of course you can't get that locally. You've got to go to the beach to get Mellow Mushroom. And um, so we went to Mellow Mushroom. I was responsible for another parent's um, child who they were coming down a little bit later on. So I got the bill. It was me. It was Brayden, uh, my oldest son and his best friend, Jaden. And uh, we got the bill. It came to me. I was sitting there with the adults. I handed over that bill. I handed over my brand bank, local banking debit card debit card and sent it off with the waitress. She comes back with the most embarrassing words that anyone can ever hear. You know what they are? Sir, your card has been declined. Yes. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that's possible, you know? And I start going back and here's why I didn't think it was possible because it was the first of the month and my payday is the first of the month. And so I was like, of all the days, I know that there's money there. And so I was like, Hey, could you try running it again? And so she comes back the second time, which is actually more embarrassing than the first time. And I'm sorry, sorry, sir, it did not work. And so I did what could possibly be the next most embarrassing thing, which is I actually pulled up my online balance and showed one of the other assistant coaches the balance that was in my checking account. I was like, look, see, there is enough money in there. He's like, well, I mean, that's debatable. But anyway, you know, it's like, you know, so, no, so like, I was like, I don't know what to do. I have a local bank, so I call them. It's after hours. I get no assistance. We fortunately, we have two debit accounts with that one bank. So I sent off my other debit card and she came back with the words that you always want to hear. Thank you, sir. You know, and, um, and so we were good. Uh, I had to call the bank the next day. They had flagged my account because uh, they saw expenses going all the way down to the beach and didn't want that to be someone who had stolen my car. But that was a very embarrassing moment for me. And it was embarrassing and I had plenty of money in the bank. Now, I have other embarrassing moments where there wasn't enough money, but I'm not gonna share them from the stage, you know? Um, And maybe you've had some of those experiences as well. When we talk about money today, and if you're a first-time guest, welcome to The Vine, where we talk about money once a a year. Uh, You just happen to pick the right Sunday. Um, When we talk about money today and the, the reality that its presence can, can cause embarrassment or disadvantage or unnecessary stress. It's usually not because we don't have enough. It's typically because we have all that we need. We just don't know how to use it 
best. In fact, I think that if you're in this room, there's a good chance that you have more than enough and more than most people. If you spent over $14 this past week in any kind of necessity in life, then you spent more money than about 98% of the world's population. Students, yes, that means that if you spent $14 on Fortnite to buy some V-Bucks so that you can survive a round of a game, then you spent more and you are wealthier than 98% of the world's population who spends on average about $14 a week, not to survive a game, but to try to survive life. We don't have a scarcity issue, we have an abundance issue. And our embarrassment, our moments of disadvantage, our moments of, of unnecessary stress is related to not having, um, it's, it's not related to having enough, it's, it's related to not managing it well enough. It's not that we don't have enough, it's that we don't manage it well enough. And what we want to offer you in this series and, and specifically today, are not just um, tools that, that are, are generic, but tools that are very specific so that you can avoid those, those moments of embarrassment, and vo- avoid those moments of disadvantage, avoid those moments of unnecessary stress, because your finances are not meant to be a source of fear in faith and in life. Your finances are meant to be a source of freedom in faith and life. It's not that we don't have enough, it's that we don't manage it well enough. I know this because of some um, pretty simple statistics, uh, just taking a look at the way that we manage money in our country. Um, uh, All across the nation, there are new students that are arriving at college campuses, um, either last week or this week or in the next couple of weeks. And within those early um, days of those uh, arrivals on campus, down at the student center of every campus, you'll find credit card companies trying to convince students to pick up a credit card um, in exchange for a free t-shirt. But those are really expensive t-shirts. In fact, they're about $4,000 a piece because that is the average credit card debt that a college student carries when they graduate from school. So when um, I'm asked to write letters to uh, college graduates, I typically include a PS. Hey, don't get that free shirt for a credit card. If you can make it through college without getting any credit card debt, I will buy you a new shirt, okay? That's my deal for all the college graduates, okay? So when you're 18 and you graduate from, co- or graduate from high school, I will um, offer you a t-shirt. We'll go down to Goodwill. We will buy one for you. <laughs> it won't cost you anything and it'll barely cost me anything. And, uh, and we can do that deal together. And, and that's just the credit card debt. Most college graduates graduate with about $28,000 worth of student debt that when I went to my 20-year class reunion a few years ago, I have to start saying a few years ago, a few years ago, many of them still had that they were paying off. And that's not that different from young adults that are out of college. Um, Most households have, on average, seven credit cards that carry a balance of over $7,000 that doesn't include the credit and consumer debt of about $15,000 per household that people are paying interest payments on. Our generation of Americans spends about 122% of our income. Now, I went to the University of Georgia. We're not good at math, but I know that's trouble. I know that that's setting you up where money is going to be a liability for us. 
So how do we turn that liability into a tool? Well, we need to go to the ultimate tool, that's the Bible. And we wanna go to biblical wisdom to see what God would say about our money. And believe it or not, the Bible actually has a lot to say about money. Jesus himself had a lot to say about money. In fact, if you were to kind of take a look at all the different topics and the breakdown outside of the subject of the kingdom of God, which was Jesus's main message. He wanted everyone to know that regardless of their past, regardless of their religious uh, performance, regardless of whether they were irreligious or not, everyone was welcome into a personal relationship with Jesus. When he died on the cross and came back from the dead, he made entrance into the kingdom of God possible. And what the kingdom of God means is a person who's uh, who is ruled and reigned by Jesus through a personal relationship where they trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's his main message. But under that umbrella or built on that foundation, he talks about all these other aspects of life that hinder us and are obstacles in living within that kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God through a personal relationship with him. And the number one topic he talked about most was the topic of money. He talked more about money than he did heaven and hell combined, which is interesting because a lot of churches, that's kind of flip-flopped. And, and we'll talk a lot about heaven and hell, but we won't touch the subject of money, right? And some of you are like, I wish you wouldn't be doing that today. Anyway, so, you know, and, and, and then if you were just to take the amount of times that Jesus talked about money and kind of average it out over the gospels, it would average out about every four verses would be a verse about money. So Jesus had a lot to say about money. He talked about it a lot. Because I believe that he knew that money can be a liability for living in the freedom and the abundance of a personal relationship with God. Jesus knew things like this. He knew that the love of money is the root of all what? Evil. Notice it's the love of money, not money, because money is amoral. It's not good or it's, it's not bad. It's what you choose to do with it. The love of money is the root of all evil. Jesus knew things like where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, um, you've heard this, like show me your checkbook or show me how you spend your money and I'll show you where your passion and your love lies. You know, and it's true. It's true that where we spend the most amount of our money, that's where our passion is going to be. That's where our devotion is going to be. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew, Jesus knew that it was impossible to serve two masters. You can either serve money or you can serve your maker. You can't do both. And what he means by that is that if we are consumed, if we are enslaved to money and God calls us into moments and, and seasons of obedience, which is our life in Christ, but those specific things that he calls us to and we're enslaved to money, we, we can't be a servant of our maker and our master, Jesus. Jesus knew all that. And so he talked about money a lot. And the Bible through and through talks about money a lot. And in fact, it lays out for us very specifically a tool that we can have in our life so that our finances become a source of freedom and faith in life and not a source of fear in faith and life. And that tool is called a budget. Everybody say budget. 
Uh, we just said a bad word in church, right? And maybe it's a bad word in your family. In fact, it's a bad word in my house. When Liz and I started uh, budgeting around 2010, as we took Dave Ramsey's uh, Financial Peace University together, um, and when he started talking about budget, I mean, the stress level in our home skyrocketed. So then I figured out that my wife, who is a planner, likes to plan. And I said, hey, can we talk about our financial plan? And she was like, yeah, that sounds great. Um, she's a planner. So if you need to use use the word plan instead of budget, that's fine. You have my pastoral permission to use the word plan instead of a budget because a plan is exactly what a budget is. A budget is planning your spending before it runs out. Planning your spending before it runs out. I said the Bible is full of wisdom with regards to that and even shares with us the value of a budget. If you brought your Bibles, you got a Bible app, I want to invite you to go real quickly to Proverbs chapter 27, beginning with verse 23 and then continuing in 24. Um, the wisdom writer who's thought to be and attributed to be Solomon, the wisest person who has ever lived outside of Jesus, who was wisdom in the flesh, um, who happens to be the wealthiest individual human who has ever lived, um, he wrote these words, verse 23, know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds for riches do not last forever and does a crown endure to all generations. Solomon, the wisdom writer, basically, if you translate that into 2018, he says this, plan your spinning because it will run out. Plan your spending because it will run out. Now, you notice in there, he didn't say anything about money. He talked about flocks. Well, 3,000 years ago, when this would have been written or close to that, um, the currency of the day was either fruit or flocks. It was either fruit or flocks. Um, you didn't have currency that could be passed around like a dollar bill or, or any other coin. So to know well the condition of your flocks meant that we need to have an idea of, of what um, is the condition of our, our money. What, are the, what is the condition of our resources? And so we need to keep track of that. We need to have an idea of it. And we need to know what the plan is for it. And when it comes to um, managing well what God has entrusted to us, we need to know well the condition of our currency. We need to know what we are spending our money on, and better yet, once we know that, to start planning how we will spend our money. We can tell our money what to do, or it will tell us what to do. And so the value of a budget's found in the Proverbs. Jesus, in a different context, in a different story, he actually speaks about the value of a budget as well. He says, he says this, how many of you would go about building, but not first consider the cost? In other words, like, how many of you would go about buying and spending or putting your resources to projects without first considering the cost? That there needs to be this intentional planning on how we will spend our money because it is going to run out. And any of you that get to the last couple of the days of the month and you're responsible for finances, you know that what? It's gonna run out. So the Bible, it's our ultimate tool for life. We'll talk about that more in a couple of weeks. The Bible tells us that the ultimate tool for our finances so that it becomes a source of freedom and faith in life and not a source of fear and frustration, not a liability, an embarrassment, disadvantage, or unnecessary stress. 
is a budget. It's a plan to plan our spending before it runs out. So I want to talk with you about three other um, tools with regard to a budget. I, I can't really go through uh, and break down a spreadsheet line item by line item on how we should spend our money based on the collective wisdom of some Christ followers who also are experts in money. Uh, we don't have enough time for that. And so I want to give you a simple budgeting um, framework for you that will help you um, see finances as a source of freedom, not as a source of fear and frustration. Bless you. And so the first thing, when you take a look at any financial um, uh, budgeting tool or any financial counselor's um, advice is going to be um, what you give your money to. The first line item in a budget or a plan should be our giving. Um, and so if you're taking notes, you could just write down give. What do you give with your money? And when we talk about what we give with our money, I'm not talking about like, well, I give this amount of money to my mortgage company so that I can have a home. I give this much money to my kids' activities so that they can have something that they're involved in. When we say give, we're talking um, big picture about what we do outside of ourselves and outside of our life. When we're talking about the context of a church and of a person of faith, what we're talking about is how much do we return back to God? And I use the word return because if you're a God follower, if you're a Christ follower, if you believe that the Bible is our ultimate tool for understanding God and understanding the practice of our faith, then it's very clear throughout the Bible that everything that we have is given to us by God. Pedro got up earlier, right before the offering, and he said, hey, we believe that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. That comes straight from the Bible. We believe that we don't have anything on our own. You and I, we can do a lot with the trees outside. We can't make the trees. God gives us everything. And so we give and we return as a way of saying, hey, God, I recognize that you are ultimate provider. Yeah, I work. Yeah, I've got a job. But you are the ultimate provider. And God kind of set up a framework, in case you're interested, for what our kind of baseline would be with regards to what we return back. It's called our first 10%. Our first 10%. The, the Bible, the biblical word for that is tithe. Everybody say tithe. Tithe is actually a Hebrew word. So congratulations, you know a little bit more Hebrew today. The word tithe literally means 10%, a tenth. And throughout scripture, before the law was introduced, as Jesus fulfilled the law after the law for 2,000 years of church history, the tithe, the first 10% has been the baseline for what a God follower would bring back to God. It doesn't belong to us, it belongs to him, and we bring it back to him. Why? Because when we give our first 10%, we are demonstrating the greatest trust that God is the provider. And you see that in Genesis chapter 4 with the first offering that was taken? Two brothers, Cain and Abel, both of them bring an offering to God. One brings the first 10%, one brings the last 10%. God's pleased with the brother Abel who brings the first 10%. He's displeased with the offering of the last 10%. Why? Because one demonstrates trust, one demonstrates faith, and the other demonstrates fear. And, and it's kind of hard for us to understand in our context because most of us that have an income, we have a payday. And on the payday, we get a lump sum of, of um, 
our compensation for what work we provide. And so for me, it's the first of the month. Maybe for you, it's the first and the 15th or it's the 15th and the 30th. Whatever that looks like, you get a lump sum. But you remember, if thousands of years ago, the only currency was flocks or fruit, it didn't all come at the same time. It wasn't like you walked out on the 15th of the month and poof, all the fruit was on your tree. Now you would get like fruit one at a time. I've got some fruit trees and they just come when they want to come. But the, the principle was that when you get that first, or when you get that first harvest, whenever you choose to bring in the, the harvest, you take the first 10% of that and you bring that back to God as a baseline of demonstrating your trust. Because look, when you're dealing with fruit and when you're dealing with flocks, you're not guaranteed anything else unless you understand that God guarantees himself as the provider of everything that you need. You're not guaranteed anything else. So this is a little bit weird for us because we go, I don't know that that makes, really demonstrates like trust when we've got all this extra afterwards. Although if the average Christian is only given 2.6, I don't know that we really could make that argument. But if you're handing over the first of the fruit, if you're handing over the first of the flock, you're demonstrating great trust in God. And here's what's cool about what Jesus says is that when you return back to God, that baseline, God will return back to you. When you return back to God, God will return back to you. In other words, when you say, hey, God, I will demonstrate in a very tangible way, in the hardest way possible in our context, I'll bring back to you first 10% as a sign of my trust. And God says, well, then I can trust you with more. Those aren't my words, those are Jesus' words. Jesus said very clearly that if I can trust you with little, I can trust you with much. If I can trust you with little, I can trust you with much. And you might say, well, 10%, that is much. That's not little. And God says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Your 10%, it's little. And if you'll demonstrate your trust, then God's trust in you will grow and he will trust you with more. Not only that, not only will God trust you with more, God will protect the rest. And, and I wish I had time to talk about first fruits, but first fruits always redeemed what remains. First fruits always redeem what remains. The firstborn of all creation is Jesus. When he was sacrificed, he redeems all that remains. He redeemed all of creation. And you see this redemption of the firstborn and the first um, lamb. And you see this throughout scripture, God redeems it. I want you to listen to some words from this prophet, Malachi chapter uh, three, verse 10. Um, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. A prophet is a person who listens for the words of God and communicates that to God's people. Uh, there was an issue among God's people where they were robbing God of this tithe. And so this is what the prophet Malachi says in verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. This is the only place in scripture where we're told we can test God and see, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine and your fields shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. This is the promise of God that when we trust him with little, he'll trust us with more to the point where we will have all that we need. Maybe in some of your translations, it says that we can't contain it. 
and that God would protect, God would bless the rest. And so what does the rest look like for us? Well, we talked about our first line item in, in planning our spending is giving. And so we talked about our first 10%. I wanna to talk to you about our second 10%. Our second 10% should be not stuff that's given back to God, but stuff that is given to ourselves. We call that savings. And so our second line item in budget, our second 10%, is not given to God, it's given to ourselves. And that's what savings is. And the reason that we save according to the Bible is because of certain circumstances that happen in life and certain seasons that happen in life. Circumstances, circumstances might be emergencies because they're going to happen, especially if you have kids that are active. They get sick on weekends and you gotta go to the hospital and you get a $900 emergency room bill. Anyway, I'm just sidetracked. Um, circumstances are going to happen like emergencies. Circumstances are going to happen like unemployment or downsizing. Seasons are going to happen. Seasons are going to happen economically where our country out of our control goes through a recession. We will have another one. Seasons are going to happen. Seasons are going to happen where you go, you know what? I'm too old to work anymore. It's called retirement. That season is probably going to happen. Circumstances are going to happen. Seasons are going to happen. And so we give our second 10% back to ourselves because these things are going to happen. And listen to what the Bible says about savings. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20, the wisdom writer, Solomon, the wisest person, the wealthiest person ever lived. He says, precious treasure and oil are in the wise man's dwelling. That's in his house. But a foolish man devours it. In other words, wise people, they save. They save for circumstances. They save for seasons, whatever that might be. And a good baseline for our savings happens to be 10%. And experts in the field would say, hey, you save 10% until you've got $1,000 in emergency savings. This will cover a lot of circumstantial things that happen in life, specifically the deductibles on your insurance. Once you have that, you pay off all of your consumer debt except for your mortgage. And then once that debt's paid off, you save another three to six months worth of living expenses. It's a full emergency plan. Once that is fully stocked, you start paying into that retirement account or that thing called a 529 when you've got four kids that were born within five years that are all going to be in college about the same time. You got to start saving for that season of life. It's coming really, really fast. First 10% we give to God. Second 10% we give to ourselves in form of savings. The rest of it, guess what? You have the liberty to spend. First 10% to God, second 10% to ourselves. That last 80%, you get to choose how to spend. Now, financial counselors, they're gonna give you some wisdom on that. They're gonna say things like, you know what? When it comes to your house and your household expenses, you shouldn't spend more than 25%. That's just a kind of a good framework for that. When it comes to your food for the month, you shouldn't spend more than about eight to 10% of it. And unless you're like my family, we spend about 15%. We eat Chick-fil-A a lot and that's good for the soul. So, I mean, it's all good, you know, like... So there are certain frameworks within that 80, but you get to choose how to spend 80. And that sounds like a great deal to me because if you would say that God is the source of every resource that you have in life, if you would say that, and he says, hey, I tell you what, I'll give you a couple of pieces of framework. First 10%, you bring back to me, return it back to me. This is a way of demonstrating your trust. And if you trust me, I'll trust you. Second 10%, you give to yourself. It's to take care of emergencies and it's to take care of unemployment. Take care of circumstances, take care of seasons. I'll just give you 80 that you can spend. 80 that you can choose what to do with. 
And, and I would say, I mean, you know, if we were to get down to it, that we should take the wisdom of people that are more educated than us and what those frameworks should be. That we, when it comes to certain things, we should pray about them. That obviously we should use that 80% for um, God-honoring ways. I mean, that's another sermon for another day. First 10% we give, second 10% we save, and then we get to spend the last 80. You know, when I was in third grade, um, my children's pastor used a very tangible example of what the tithe looked like. And I was grateful for that experience. Um, I was grateful for that moment because since third grade, I've returned back as a baseline 10% to God. Um, I've I've been uh, primarily a saver most of my life. My wife's a spinner. I'm not bitter about that. I'm just saying, but you know, we work it out through Dave Ramsey's help. He's a good marriage counselor for us. Um, but I'll never forget that tangible lesson. And so this morning, I want to offer a tangible lesson to any student that is willing to come up here on stage, just a tangible lesson. So any student that's willing to come on stage, uh, you could be younger or older, uh, I've got a lesson for you. Um, it's your time to come. If you, I'm going to start calling people. Um, adults can come up here too. So um, Henry Domazowski. Um, I've got 10 $1 bills. I'm going to give you 10 $1 bills. I want to see if you got today's, today's message. All right, here's the first one. Did I say $10 bills? Uh, $1. I got 10 $1 bills. Here's the first. Here's the second. Third. Fourth. Fifth. Sixth. Seventh. Eighth. Ninth. Tenth. What do we do with that first 10%? I mean, you give it to God. You give it to God? Okay. Uh, I'm not saying I'm God, but why don't you just give that back to me? Since I gave you that... That, that 10, right? All right, the first one. This was actually the last one. Can you give me the first one? It should be on the bottom. There we go. That's very important. First one, what are you going to do with that second 10%? Save it. You're going to save it. I want you to give that to your mom, okay? And here's why. She gives you a lot of money. So you just give it to her and say, hey, you're my savings account, all right? Because she probably is, especially with your generation. She'll be your savings account for a long time, maybe until you're like 26 or 30. And look, stay in school as long as you can. And when you go to school and college, don't get a, don't get a credit card. I'll buy a shirt from Goodwill, okay? All right, so look. All right, so you got that, that, that second 10 you're gonna give to your mom, right? That's savings. What do you get to do with the rest? I get to spend it. You get to spend it. Hey, don't spend it all in one place, all right, brother? All right, man, never forget today's lesson. Look. Maybe that'll help him. Maybe it'll help you. But we want to offer you a tangible tool. And on our staff, we have a church treasurer who is an amazing man who has a heart of pastoral ministry, especially in the area of finances. Our treasurer, Pat Jarvis, he is a certified Dave Ramsey financial counselor. And he has for 11 years met with people at absolutely no cost to help them use their finances in a way to where it's a source of freedom and faith in life, not a source of fear and frustration in life. And he's willing to meet with you. All you've got to do is send him an email at pat at connecttothevine.org. We'll put his email address up there as I'm talking about that. And what we have done for this series is we have actually designated a line item in our church's budget as a discretionary account to when he meets with any of you free at no cost, if there are some major debts or, or maybe you just need to help uh, get an emergency saving fund established at his discretion as the Lord leaves him, he has the approval to share with you some resources that will help you either get to that place where you are debt-free 
or establish an emergency fund. All you've got to do is connect with him. He would love to connect with you. For those of you that aren't in that place, there are budgeting tools that are out there. There are other things that can help you. Let your finances be a source of freedom and faith in life, not a source of fear and frustration. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Who oh, is love for me? Who oh, is love for me? Who the sun sets free, who oh, is free indeed? I'm a child. has ransomed me, His grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Sing it out. Jesus died for me. Through the sun sets free, oh, He's free. You 